Question 32 of Summa Theologica Pars Prima, Trinity and Creation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Jim Ruddy. Summa Theologica Pars Prima, Trinity and Creation by St. Thomas Aquinas translated by the fathers of the english dominican province question thirty two the knowledge of the divine persons we proceed to inquire concerning the knowledge of the divine persons and this involves four points of inquiry whether the divine persons can be known by natural reason whether notions are to be attributed to the divine persons the number of the notions, and whether we may lawfully have various contrary opinions of these notions. First article, whether the trinity of the divine persons can be known by natural reason. Objection 1. It would seem that the trinity of the divine persons can be known by natural reason, for philosophers came to the knowledge of God not otherwise than by natural reason. Now we find that they said many things about the trinity of persons, for Aristotle says, Through this number, namely three, we bring ourselves to acknowledge the greatness of one God surpassing all things created. And Augustine says, I have read in their works, not in so many words, but enforced by many and various reasons, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and so on, in which passage the distinction of persons is laid down. We read, moreover, in a gloss on Romans and Exodus, that the magicians of Pharaoh failed in the third sign, that is, as regards knowledge of a third person, that is, of the Holy Ghost, and thus it is clear that they knew at least two persons. Likewise, Trimagistus says, the monad begot a monad and reflected upon itself and its own heat, by which words the generation of the Son and procession of the Holy Ghost seem to be indicated. Therefore, knowledge of the divine persons can be obtained by natural reason. Objection 2. Further, Richard St. Victor says, I believe without doubt that probable and even necessary arguments can be found for any explanation of the truth. So even to prove the Trinity, some have brought forward a reason from the infinite goodness of God, who communicates himself infinitely in the procession of the divine persons while some are moved by the consideration that no good thing can be joyfully possessed without partnership. Augustine proceeds to prove the trinity of persons by the procession of the word and of love in our own mind, and we have followed him in this. Therefore the trinity of persons can be known by natural reason. Objection 3. Further, it seems to be superfluous to teach what cannot be known by natural reason, for it ought not to be said that the divine tradition of the Trinity is superfluous. Therefore, the Trinity of persons can be known by natural reason. On the contrary, Hilary says, Let no man think to reach the sacred mystery of generation by his own mind. And Ambrose says, 
It is impossible to know the secret of generation. The mind fails. The voice is silent. But the trinity of the divine persons is distinguished by origin of generation and procession. Since therefore no man can know and with his understanding grasp that for which no necessary reason can be given, it follows that the trinity of persons cannot be known by reason. I answer that it is impossible to attain to the knowledge of the trinity by natural reason. For as above explained, man cannot obtain the knowledge of God by natural reason except from creatures. Now creatures lead us to the knowledge of God as effects do to their cause. Accordingly, by natural reason, we can know of God that only which of necessity belongs to Him as the principle of things. And we have cited this fundamental principle in treating of God as above. Now the creative power of God is common to the whole trinity, and hence it belongs to the unity of the essence and not to the distinction of the persons. Therefore, by natural reason, we can know what belongs to the unity of the essence, but not what belongs to the distinction of the persons. Whoever then tries to prove the trinity of persons by natural reason derogates from faith in two ways. Firstly, as regards the dignity of faith itself, which consists in its being concerned with invisible things that exceed human reason. Wherefore, the apostle says that faith is of things that appear not. And the same apostle says also, we speak wisdom among the perfect, but not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world, but we speak the wisdom of God in the mystery which is hidden. Secondly, as regards the utility of drawing others to the faith, for when anyone in the endeavor to prove the faith brings forward reasons which are not cogent, he falls under the ridicule of the unbelievers, since they suppose that we stand upon such reasons and that we believe on such grounds. Therefore, we must not attempt to prove what is of faith, except by authority alone to those who receive the authority. While as regards others, it suffices to prove that what faith teaches is not impossible. Hence it is said by Dionysius, Whoever wholly resists the word is far off from our philosophy, whereas if he regards the truth of the word, that is, the sacred word, we too follow this rule. Reply to Objection 1 the philosophers did not know the mystery of the trinity of the divine persons by its proper attributes such as paternity filiation and procession according to the apostles words we speak the wisdom of god which none of the princes of the world that is the philosophers knew nevertheless they knew some of the essential attributes appropriated to the persons as power to the father wisdom to the Son, goodness to the Holy Ghost, as will later on appear. So when Aristotle says, by this number, and so forth, we must not take it as if he affirmed a threefold number in God, but that he wished to say that the ancients used the threefold number in their sacrifices and prayers on account of some perfection residing in the number three. 
in the platonic books also we find in the beginning was the word not as meaning the person begotten in god but as meaning the ideal type whereby god made all things and which is appropriated to the son and although they knew these were appropriated to the three persons yet they are said to have failed in the third sign that is in the knowledge of the third person because they deviated from the goodness appropriated to the holy ghost in that knowing god they did not glorify him as god or because the platonists asserted the existence of one primal being whom they also declared to be the father of the universe they consequently maintained the existence of another substance beneath him which they called mind or the paternal intellect containing the idea of all things as macrobius relates they did not however assert the existence of a third separate substance which might correspond to the holy ghost so also we do not assert that the father and the son differ in substance which was the error of origin in arius who in this followed the platonists when trimagistus says monad begot monad and so forth this does not refer to the generation of the son or to the procession of the holy ghost but to the production of the world for one god produced one world by reason of his love for himself reply to objection two reason may be employed in two ways to establish a point firstly for the purpose of furnishing sufficient proof of some principle as in natural science where sufficient proof can be brought to show that the movement of the heavens is always of uniform velocity reason is employed in another way not as furnishing a sufficient proof of a principle but as confirming an already established principle by showing the congruity of its results as in astrology the theory of eccentrics and epicycles is considered as established because thereby the sensible appearances of the heavenly movements can be explained not however as if this proof were sufficient for as much as some other theory might explain them in the first way we can prove that god is one and the like in the second way reasons avail to prove the trinity as when assumed to be true such reasons confirm it we must not however think that the trinity of persons is adequately proved by such reasons this becomes evident when we consider each point for the infinite goodness of god is manifested also in creation because to produce from nothing is an act of infinite power for if god communicates himself by his infinite goodness it is not necessary that an infinite effect should proceed from god but that according to its own mode and capacity it should receive the divine goodness likewise when it is said that joyous possession of good requires partnership this holds in the case of one not having perfect goodness hence it needs to share some other's good in order to have the goodness of complete happiness nor is the image in our mind an adequate proof in the case of god forasmuch as the intellect is not in god and ourselves univocally hence augustine says that by faith we arrive at knowledge and not conversely reply to objection three 
there are two reasons why the knowledge of the divine persons was necessary for us. It was necessary for the right idea of creation, the fact of saying that God made all things by his word excludes the error of those who say that God produced things by necessity. When we say that in him there is a procession of love, we show that God produced creatures not because he needed them, nor because of any other extrinsic reason, but on account of the love of his own goodness. So Moses, when he had said, in the beginning God created heaven and earth, subjoined, God said, let there be light to manifest the divine word, and then said, God saw the light that it was good to show proof of the divine love. The same is also found in the other works of creation. In another way, and chiefly, that we may think rightly concerning the salvation of the human race, accomplished by the incarnate Son and by the gift of the Holy Ghost. Second article, Whether There Are Notions in God. Objection 1. It would seem that in God there are no notions, for Dionysius says we must not dare to say anything of God but what is taught to us by the Holy Scripture. But Holy Scripture does not say anything concerning notions, therefore there are none in God. Objection 2. Further, all that exists in God concerns the unity of the essence or the trinity of the persons. But the notions do not concern the unity of the essence nor the trinity of the persons. For neither can what belongs to the essence be predicated of the notions. For instance, we do not say that paternity is wise or creates, nor can what belongs to the persons be thus so predicated. For example, we do not say that paternity begets, nor that filiation is begotten. Therefore, there do not exist notions in God. Objection 3. Further, we do not require to presuppose any abstract notions as principles of knowing things which are devoid of composition, for they are known of themselves. But the divine persons are supremely simple. Therefore, we are not to suppose any notions in God. On the contrary, Damascene says, we recognize difference of hypostases, that is, of persons, in the three properties, that is, in the paternal the filial, and the processional. Therefore, we must admit properties and notions in God. I answer that. Prepositivus, concerning the simplicity of the persons, said that in God there were no properties or notions, and wherever there were mentioned, he propounded the abstract for the concrete. For as we are accustomed to say, I beseech your kindness, that is, you who are kind, so, when we speak of paternity in God, we mean God the Father. But, as shown above, the use of concrete and abstract names in God is not in any way repugnant to the divine simplicity, forasmuch as we always name a thing as we understand it. Now, our intellect cannot attain to the absolute simplicity of the divine essence considered in itself. And therefore our human intellect apprehends and names divine things according to its own mode, that is, in so far as they are found in sensible objects, whence its knowledge is derived. 
In these things we use abstract terms to signify simple forms, and to signify subsistent things we use concrete terms. Hence also we signify divine things, as above stated, by abstract names to express their simplicity, whereas to express their subsistence and completeness we use concrete names. But not only must essential names be signified in the abstract and in the concrete, as when we say deity and God, or wisdom and wise, but the same applies to the personal names, so that we may say paternity and father. The chief motives for this can be cited. The first arises from the obstinacy of heretics. For since we confess the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost to be one God and three persons, to those who ask, Whereby are they one God? And whereby are they three persons? As we answer that they are one in essence or deity, so there must also be some abstract terms whereby we may answer that the persons are distinguished, and these are the properties or notions signified by an abstract term as paternity and filiation. Therefore, the divine essence is signified as what, and the person as who, and the property as whereby. The second motive is because one person in God is related to two persons, namely the person of the Father to the person of the Son and the person of the Holy Ghost. This is not, however, by one relation. Otherwise it would follow that the Son also and the Holy Ghost would be related to the Father by one and the same relation. Thus, since relation alone multiplies the Trinity, it would follow that the Son and the Holy Ghost would not be two persons. Nor can it be said with Prepositivus that as God is related in one way to creatures, while creatures are related to Him in diverse ways, so the Father is related by one relation to the Son and to the Holy Ghost, whereas these two persons are related to the Father by two relations. For since the very specific idea of a relation is that it refers to another, it must be said that two relations are not specifically different if but one opposite relation corresponds to them. For the relation of Lord and Father must differ according to the difference of filiation and servitude. Now all creatures are related to God as His creatures, by one specific relation. But the Son and the Holy Ghost are not related to the Father by one and the same kind of relation, hence there is no parity. Further, in God there is no need to admit any real relation to the creature, while there is no reason against our admitting in God many logical relations. But in the Father there must be a real relation to the Son and to the Holy Ghost, hence corresponding to the two relations of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, whereby they are related to the Father, we must understand two relations in the Father, whereby He is related to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. Hence, since there is only one person of the Father, it is necessary that the relations should be separately signified in the abstract, and these are what we mean by properties and notions. Reply to Objection 1. 
Although the notions are not mentioned in Holy Scripture, yet the persons are mentioned, comprising the idea of notions as the abstract is contained in the concrete. Reply to Objection 2. In God the notions have their significance not after the manner of realities, but by way of certain ideas whereby the persons are known, although in God these notions or relations are real, as stated above. Therefore, whatever has order to any essential or personal act cannot be applied to the notions, forasmuch as this is against their mode of signification. Hence we cannot say that paternity begets or creates, or is wise, or is intelligent. The essentials, however, which are not ordered to any act, but simply remove created conditions from God, can be predicated of the notions, for we can say that paternity is eternal, or immense, or such like. So also, on account of the real identity, substantive terms, whether personal or essential, can be predicated of the notions, where we can say that paternity is God, and that paternity is the Father. Reply to Objection 3. Although the persons are simple, still without prejudice to their simplicity, the proper ideas of the persons can be abstractedly signified, as above explained. Third article, whether there are five notions. Objection 1. It would seem that there are not five notions, for the notions proper to the persons are the relations whereby they are distinguished from each other, but the relations in God are only four. Therefore the notions are only four in number. Objection 2. Further, as there is only one essence in God, he is called one God, and because in him there are three persons, he is called the trine God. Therefore, if in God there are five notions, he may be called quinary, which cannot be allowed. Objection 3. Further, if there are five notions for the three persons in God, there must be in some one person two or more notions, as in the person of the Father there is inascibility and paternity and common spiration. Either these three notions really differ or not. If they really differ, it follows that the person of the Father is composed of several things. But if they differ only logically, it follows that one of them can be predicated of another, so that we can say that as the divine goodness is the same as the divine wisdom by reason of the common reality, so common spiration is paternity, which is not to be admitted. Therefore there are not five notions. Objection 4. On the contrary, it seems that there are more, because as the Father is from no one, and therefore is derived the notion of inascibility, so from the Holy Ghost no other person proceeds, and in this respect there ought to be a sixth notion. Objection 5. Further, as the Father and the Son are the common origin of the Holy Ghost, so it is common to the Son and the Holy Ghost to proceed from the Father. Therefore, as one notion is common to the Father and the Son, so there ought to be one notion common to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. I answer that a notion is the proper idea whereby we know a divine person. Now the divine persons are multiplied by reason of their origin. An origin includes the idea of someone from whom another comes, and of someone that comes from another and by these two modes a person can be known. Therefore the person of the Father cannot be known by the fact that he is from another, but by the fact that he is from no one, and thus the notion that belongs to him is called inascibility. As the source of another, he can be known in two ways, because 
as the son is from him the father is known by the notion of paternity and as the holy ghost is from him he is known by the notion of common spiration the son can be known as begotten by another and thus he is known by filiation and also by another person proceeding from him the holy ghost and thus he is known in the same way as the father is known by common spiration the holy ghost can be known by the fact that he is from another or from others thus he is known by procession but not from the by the fact that another is from him as no divine person proceeds from him therefore there are five notions in god innascibility paternity filiation common spiration and procession of these only four are relations for innascibility is not a relation except by reduction as will appear later four only are properties for common spiration is not a property because it belongs to two persons three are personal notions that is constituting persons paternity filiation and procession common spiration and inascibility are called notions of persons but not personal notions as we shall explain further on reply to objection one besides the four relations another notion must be admitted as above explained reply to objection two the divine essence is signified as a reality and likewise the persons are signified as realities whereas the notions are signified as ideas notifying the persons therefore although god is one by unity of essence and trine by trinity of persons nevertheless he is not quinary by the five notions reply to objection three since the real plurality in god is founded only on relative opposition the several properties of one person as they are not relatively opposed to each other do not really differ nor again are they predicated of each other because they are different ideas of the persons as we do not say that the attribute of power is the attribute of knowledge although we do say that knowledge is power reply to objection four since person implies dignity as stated above we cannot derive a notion of the holy spirit from the fact that no person is from him for this does not belong to his dignity as it belongs to the authority of the father that he is from no one reply to objection five the son and the holy ghost do not agree in one special mode of existence derived from the father as the father and the son agree in one special mode of producing the holy ghost but the principle on which a notion is based must be something special thus no parity of reasoning exists fourth article whether it is lawful to have various contrary opinions of notions objection one it would seem that it is not lawful to have various contrary opinions of the notions for augustine says no error is more dangerous than any as regards the trinity to which mystery the notions assuredly belong but contrary opinions must be in some way erroneous therefore it is not right to have contrary opinions of the notions objection to further the persons are known by the notions but no contrary opinion concerning the persons is to be tolerated therefore neither can there be about the notions on the contrary the notions are not articles of faith 
Therefore, different opinions of the notions are permissible. I answer that anything is of faith in two ways. Directly, where any truth comes to us principally as divinely taught as the Trinity and unity of God, the incarnation of the Son and the like. And concerning these truths, a false opinion of itself involves heresy, especially if it be held obstinately. A thing is of faith indirectly if the denial of it involves as a consequence something against faith, as, for instance, if anyone said that Samuel was not the son of Elkanah, for it follows that the divine scripture would be false. Concerning such things, any one may have a false opinion without danger of heresy, before the matter has been considered or settled as involving consequences against faith, and particularly if no obstinacy be shown. Whereas, when it is manifest, and especially if the church has decided that the consequences follow against faith, then the error cannot be free from heresy. For this reason, many things are now considered as heretical, which were formerly not so considered, as their consequences are now more manifest. So we must decide that anyone may entertain contrary opinions about the notions, if he does not mean to uphold anything at variance with faith. If, however, anyone should entertain a false opinion of the notions, knowing or thinking that consequences against the faith would follow, he would lapse into heresy. By what has been said, all the objections may be solved. The end of question 32. Question 33 of Summa Theologica, Pars Prima, Trinity and Creation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Jim Ruddy. Summa Theologica, Pars Prima, Trinity and Creation by St. Thomas Aquinas. Translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province, Question 33, of the person of the Father. We now consider the person singly, and first the person of the Father, concerning whom there are four points of inquiry, whether the Father is the principle, whether the person of the Father is properly signified by this name Father, whether Father in God is said personally before it is said essentially, and whether it belongs to the Father alone to be unbegotten. First article, whether it belongs to the Father to be the principle. Objection 1. It would seem that the Father cannot be called the principle of the Son or of the Holy Ghost, for principle and cause are the same, according to the philosopher. But we do not say that the Father is the cause of the Son. Therefore, we must not say that He is the principle of the Son. Objection 2. Further, a principle is so called in relation to the thing principled, So if the Father is the principle of the Son, it follows that the Son is a person principled and is therefore created, which appears false. Objection 3. Further, the word principle is taken from priority, but in God there is no before and after, as Athanasius says. Therefore, in speaking of God, we ought not to use the term principle. On the contrary, Augustine says, the Father is the principle of the whole deity. I answer that the word principle signifies only that whence another proceeds since anything whence something proceeds 
in any way we call a principle and conversely as the father then is the one whence another proceeds it follows that the father is a principle reply to objection one the greeks use the words cause and principle indifferently when speaking of god whereas the latin doctors do not use the word cause but only principle the reason is because principle is a wider term than cause as cause is more common than element for the first term of a thing as also the first part is called the principle but not the cause now the wider a term is the more suitable it is to use as regards god because the more special terms are the more they determine the mode adapted to the creature hence this term cause seems to mean diversity of substance and dependence of one from another which is not implied in the word principle for in all kinds of causes there is always to be found between the cause and the effect a distance of perfection or of power whereas we use the term principle even in things which have no such difference but have only a certain order to each other as when we say that a point is the principle of a line or also when we say that the first part of a line is the principle of a line reply to objection two it is the custom with the greeks to say that the son and the holy ghost are principled this is not however the custom with our doctors because although we attribute to the father something of authority by reason of his being the principle still we do not attribute any kind of subjection or inferiority to the son or to the holy ghost to avoid any occasion of error in this way hilary says by authority of the giver the father is the greater nevertheless the son is not less to whom oneness of nature is to give reply to objection three although this word principle as regards its derivation seems to be taken from priority still it does not signify priority but origin for what a term signifies and the reason why it was imposed are not the same thing as stated above second article whether this name father is properly the name of a divine person objection one it would seem that this name father is not properly the name of a divine person for the name father signifies relation moreover person is an individual substance therefore this name father is not properly a name signifying a person objection two further a begetter is more common than father for every father begets but it is not so conversely but a more common term is more properly applied to god as stated above therefore the more proper name of the divine person is begetter and genitor rather than father objection three further a metaphorical term cannot be the proper name of any one but the word is used by us metaphorically called begotten or offspring consequently he of whom is the word is metaphorically called father therefore the principle of the word in god is not properly called father objection four further everything which is said properly of god is said of god first before creatures but generation appears to apply to creatures before god because generation seems to be truer when the one who proceeds is distinct from the one whence it proceeds not only by relation but also by essence therefore the name father taken from generation does not seem to be the proper name of any divine person on the contrary it is said he shall cry out to me thou art my father i answer that the proper name of any person signifies that whereby the person is distinguished from all other persons 
For as body and soul belong to the nature of man, so to the concept of this particular man belong this particular soul and this particular body, and by these is this particular man distinguished from all other men. Now it is paternity which distinguishes the person of the Father from all other persons. Hence this name Father, whereby paternity is signified, is the proper name of the person of the Father. Reply to Objection 1. Among us, relation is not a subsisting person. So this name Father among us does not signify a person, but rather the relation of a person. In God, however, it is not so, as some wrongly thought. For in God the relation signified by the name Father is a subsisting person. Hence, as above explained, this name person in God signifies a relation subsisting in the divine nature. Reply to objection to. According to the philosopher, a thing is denominated chiefly by its perfection and by its end. Now generation signifies something in process of being made, whereas paternity signifies the complement of generation, and therefore the name Father is more expressive as regards the divine person than genitor or begetter. Reply to Objection 3. In human nature the word is not a subsistence, and hence is not properly called begotten or son. But the divine word is something subsistent in the divine nature, and hence he is properly and not metaphorically called son, and his principle is called father. Reply to Objection 4. The terms generation and paternity like the other terms properly applied to God, are said of God before creatures as regards the thing signified, but not as regards the mode of signification. Hence also the apostle says, I bend my knee to the Father of my Lord Jesus Christ, from whom all paternity in heaven and on earth is named. This is explained thus. It is manifest that generation receives its species from the term which is the form of the thing generated. And the nearer it is to the form of the generator, the truer and more perfect is the generation. As univocal generation is more perfect than non-univocal, for it belongs to the essence of a generator to generate what is like itself in form. Hence the very fact that in the divine generation the form of the begetter and begotten is numerically the same, whereas in creatures it is not numerically but only specifically the same, shows that generation and consequently paternity is applied to God before creatures. Hence the very fact that in God a distinction exists of the begotten from the begetter as regards relation only belongs to the truth of the divine generation and paternity. Third article whether this name Father is applied to God, firstly, as a personal name. Objection 1. It would seem that this name Father is not applied to God, firstly, as a personal name, for in the intellect the common precedes the particular. But this name Father, as a personal name, belongs to the person of the Father, and taken in an essential sense, it is common to the whole Trinity. For we say, Our Father, to the whole Trinity. Therefore, Father comes first as an essential name before its personal sense. Objection 2. Further, in things of which the concept is the same, there is no priority or predication. But paternity and filiation seem to be of the same nature, according as a divine person is Father, of the Son, and the whole Trinity is our Father, or the creatures. 
since according to basil to receive is common to the creature and to the son therefore father and god is not taken as a essential name before it is taken personally objection three further it is not possible to compare things which have not a common concept but the son is compared to the creature by reason of filiation or generation according to colossians who is the image of the invisible god the firstborn of every creature therefore paternity taken in a personal sense is not prior to but has the same concept as paternity taken essentially on the contrary the eternal comes before the temporal but God is the father of the Son from eternity, while he is the father of the creature in time. Therefore paternity in God is taken in a personal sense as regards the Son, before it is so taken as regards the creature. I answer that a name is applied to that wherein is perfectly contained its whole signification, before it is applied to that which only partially contains it for the latter bears the name by reason of a kind of similitude to that which answers perfectly to the signification of the name, since all imperfect things are taken from perfect things. Hence this name lion is applied first to the animal containing the whole nature of a lion, and which is properly so called, before it is applied to a man who shows something of a lion's nature as courage or strength or the like, and of whom it is said by way of similitude. Now it is manifest from the foregoing that the perfect idea of paternity and filiation is to be found in God the Father and in God the Son, because one is the nature and glory of the Father and the Son. But in the creature filiation is found in relation to God not in a perfect manner, since the Creator and the creature have not the same nature, but by way of a certain likeness which is the more perfect, the nearer we approach to the true idea of filiation. For God is called the father of some creatures by reason only of a trace, for instance, of irrational creatures, according to Job, who is the father of the rain, or who begot the drops of dew. Of some, namely, the rational creature, by reason of the likeness of his image, according to Deuteronomy, is he not thy father who possessed and made and created thee? And of others he is the father by similitude of grace. And these are also called adoptive sons, as ordained to the heritage of eternal glory by the gift of grace which they have received according to romans the spirit himself gives testimony to our spirit that we are the sons of god and of sons heirs also lastly he is the father of others by similitude of glory forasmuch as they have obtained possession of the heritage of glory according to romans we glory in the hope of the glory of the sons of god Therefore it is plain that paternity is applied to God first as importing regard of one person to another person before it imports the regard of God to creatures. Reply to Objection 1. Common terms, taken absolutely, in the order of our intelligence, come before proper terms because they are included in the understanding of proper terms, but not conversely. For in the concept of the person of the Father, God is understood, but not conversely. But common terms which import relation to the creature come after proper terms which import personal relations, because the person proceeding in God proceeds as the principle of the production of creatures. For as the word conceived in the mind of the artist is first understood to proceed from the artist before the thing designed, which is produced in likeness to the word conceived in the artist's mind, so the Son 
proceeds from the Father before the creature, to whom the name of filiation is applied as it participates in the likeness of the Son, as is clear from the words of Romans, whom he foreknew and predestined to be made conformable to the image of his Son. Reply to Objection 2. To receive is said to be common to the creature and to the Son, not in a univocal sense, but according to a certain remote similitude, whereby he is called the firstborn of creatures. Hence the authority quoted subjoins that he may be the firstborn among many brethren, after saying that some were conformed to the image of the Son of God. But the Son of God possesses a position of singularity above others in having by nature what he receives, as Basil also declares, Hence he is called the only begotten. The only begotten who is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared unto us. From this appears the reply to the third objection. Fourth article, whether it is proper to the Father to be unbegotten. Objection one, it would seem that it is not proper to the Father to be unbegotten, for every property supposes something in that of which it has the property. But unbegotten supposes nothing in the Father, it only removes something. Therefore it does not signify a property of the Father. Objection two, further, unbegotten is taken either in a privative or in a negative sense. If in a negative sense, then whatever is not begotten can be called unbegotten. But the Holy Ghost is not begotten, neither is the divine essence. Therefore to be unbegotten belongs also to the essence, and thus it is not proper to the Father. But if it be taken in a privative sense, as every privation signifies imperfection in the thing which is the subject of privation, it follows that the person of the Father is imperfect, which cannot be. Objection 3. Further, in God, unbegotten does not signify relation, for it is not used relatively. Therefore, it signifies substance. Therefore, unbegotten and begotten differ in substance. But the Son, who is begotten, does not differ from the Father in substance. Therefore, the Father ought not to be called unbegotten. Objection 4. Further, property means what belongs to one alone. Since then there are more than one in God proceeding from another, there is nothing to prevent several not receiving their being from another. Therefore the Father is not alone unbegotten. And objection 5. Further, as the Father is the principle of the person begotten, so he is of the person proceeding. So if by reason of his opposition to the person begotten it is proper to the Father to be unbegotten, it follows that it is proper to him also to be unproceeding. On the contrary, Hilary says, one is from one, that is, the begotten is from the unbegotten, namely by the property in each one respectively of inascibility and origin. I answer that, as in creatures there exist a first and secondary principle, so also in the divine persons in whom there is no before or after is formed the principle not from a principle who is the Father, and the principle from a principle who is the Son. Now in things created a first principle is known in two ways. In one way as the first principle by reason of its having a relation to what proceeds from itself, in another way, inasmuch as it is a first principle by reason of its not being from another. Thus, therefore, the Father is known both by paternity and by common spiration as regards the persons proceeding from himself. But as the principle not from a principle, he is known by the fact that he is not from another, and this belongs to the property of inestability signified by this word begotten. 
Reply to Objection 1. Some there are who say that ineffability, signified by the word unbegotten as a property of the Father, is not a negative term only, but either that it means both these things together, namely that the Father is from no one, and that he is the principle of others, or that it imports universal authority, or also his plenitude as the source of all. This, however, does not seem true because this inasability would not be a property distinct from paternity inspiration but would include them as the proper is included in the common for source and authority signify in god nothing but the principle of origin we must therefore say with augustine that unbegotten imports the negation of passive generation for he says that unbegotten has the same meaning as not a son nor does it follow that unbegotten is not the proper notion of the father for primary and simple things are notified by negations as for instance a point is defined as what has no part reply to objection two unbegotten is taken sometimes in a negative sense only and in that sense jerome says that the holy ghost is unbegotten that is he is not begotten otherwise unbegotten may be taken in a kind of privative sense but not as implying any imperfection for privation can be taken in many ways in one way when a thing has not what is naturally belongs to another even though it is not of its own nature to have it as for instance if a stone be called a dead thing as wanting life which naturally belongs to some other things in another sense privation is so called when something has not what naturally belongs to some members of its genus as for instance when a mole is called blind in a third sense privation means the absence of what something ought to have in which sense privation imports an imperfection in this sense unbegotten is not attributed to the father as a privation but it may be so attributed in the second sense meaning that a certain person of the divine nature is not begotten while some person of the same nature is begotten in this sense the term unbegotten can be applied also to the holy ghost hence to consider it as a term proper to the father alone it must be further understood that the name unbegotten belongs to a divine person as the principle of another person so that it be understood to imply negation in the genus of principle taken personally in god or that there be understood in the term unbegotten that he is not in any way derived from another and not only that he is not from another by way only of generation in this sense the term unbegotten does not belong at all to the holy ghost who is from another by procession as a subsisting person nor does it belong to the divine essence of which it may be said that it is in the son or in the holy ghost from another namely from the father reply to objection three according to damascene unbegotten in one sense signifies the same as uncreated and thus it applies to the substance for thereby does the created substance differ from the uncreated in another sense it signifies what is not begotten and in this sense it is a relative term just as negation is reduced to the genus of affirmation as not man is reduced to the genus of substance and not white to the genus of quality hence since begotten implies relation in god unbegotten belongs also to relation thus it does not follow that the father unbegotten is substantially distinguished from the son begotten but only by relation that is as the relation of son is denied of the father reply to objection four in every genus there must be something first so in the divine nature there must be some one principle which is not from another and which we call unbegotten to admit two 
innascibles is to suppose the existence of two gods and two divine natures hence hilary says as there is one god so there cannot be two innascibles and this especially because did two innascibles exist one would not be from the other and they would not be distinguished by relative opposition and therefore they would be distinguished from each other by diversity of nature reply to objection five the property of the father whereby he is not from another is more clearly signified by the removal of the nativity of the son than by the removal of the procession of the holy ghost both because the procession of the holy ghost has no special name as stated above and because also in the order of nature it presupposes the generation of the son hence it being denied of the father that he is begotten although he is the principle of generation it follows as a consequence that he does not proceed by the procession of the holy ghost because the holy ghost is not the principle of generation but proceeds from the person begotten the end of question thirty three Question 34 of Summa Theologica Pars Prima, Trinity and Creation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Jim Ruddy. Summa Theologica Pars Prima, Trinity and Creation by St. Thomas Aquinas translated by the fathers of the english dominican province question thirty four of the person of the son we next consider the person of the son three names are attributed to the son namely son word and image the idea of son is gathered from the idea of father hence it remains for us to consider word and image concerning word there are three points of inquiry whether word is an essential term in god or a personal term whether it is the proper name of the son and whether in the name of word is expressed relation to creatures first article whether word in god is a personal name objection one it would seem that the word in god is not a personal name for personal names are applied to god in a proper sense as father and son but word is applied to god metaphorically as origen says on in the beginning was the word therefore word is not a personal name in god objection two further according to augustine the word is knowledge with love and according to anselm to speak is to the supreme spirit nothing but to see by thought but knowledge and thought and sight are essential terms in god therefore word is not a personal term in god objection three further it is essential to word to be spoken but according to anselm as the father is intelligent the son is intelligent and the holy ghost is intelligent so the father speaks the son speaks and the holy ghost speaks and likewise each one of them is spoken therefore the name word is used as an essential term in god and not in a personal sense objection four further no divine person is made but the word of god is something made for it is said fire hail snow ice the storms which do his word 
Therefore, the word is not a personal name in God. On the contrary, Augustine says, As the Son is related to the Father, so also is the Word to him whose Word he is. But the Son is a personal name, since it is said relatively. Therefore, so also is the Word. I answer that the name of Word in God, if taken in its proper sense, is a personal name, and in no way an essential name. To see how this is true, we must know that our own word, taken in its proper sense, has a threefold meaning, while in a fourth sense it is taken improperly or figuratively. The clearest and most common sense is when it is said of the word spoken by the voice, and this proceeds from an interior source as regards two things found in the exterior word, that is, the vocal sound itself and the signification of the sound. For according to the philosopher, vocal sound signifies the concept of the intellect. Again, the vocal sound proceeds from the signification or the imagination, as stated in De Anima. The vocal sound which has no signification cannot be called a word. Wherefore, the exterior vocal sound is called a word from the fact that it signifies the interior concept of the mind. Therefore, it follows that, first and chiefly, the interior concept of the mind is called a word. Secondarily, the vocal sound itself signifying the interior concept is so called. And thirdly, the imagination of the vocal sound is called a word. Damascene mentions these three kinds of words, saying that word is called the natural movement of the intellect, whereby it is moved and understands and thinks as light and splendor, which is the first kind. Again, he says, the word is what is not pronounced by a vocal word, but is uttered in the heart, which is the third kind. Again, also, the word is the angel, that is, the messenger of intelligence, which is the second kind. Word is also used in a fourth way, figuratively, for that which is signified or effected by a word. Thus, we are wont to say, this is the word I have said, or which the king has commanded, alluding to some deed signified by the word, either by way of assertion or of command. Now, word is taken strictly in God as signifying the concept of the intellect. Hence, Augustine says, Whoever can understand the word, not only before it is sounded, but also before thought has clothed it with imaginary sound, can already see some likeness of that word of whom it is said, In the beginning was the word. The concept itself of the heart has of its own nature to proceed from something other than itself, namely from the knowledge of the one conceiving. Hence word, according as we use the term strictly of God, signifies something proceeding from another, which belongs to the nature of personal terms in God, inasmuch as the divine persons are distinguished by origin. Hence the term word, according as we use the term strictly of God, is to be taken as said not essentially but personally. Reply to Objection 1. 
the Aryans, who sprang from origin, declared that the Son differed in substance from the Father. Hence they endeavored to maintain that when the Son of God is called the Word, this is not to be understood in a strict sense, lest the idea of the Word proceeding should compel them to confess that the Son of God is of the same substance as the Father. For the interior Word proceeds in such a manner from the one who pronounces it as to remain within him but supposing word to be said metaphorically of god we must still admit word in its stricter sense for if a thing be called a word metaphorically this can only be by reason of some manifestation either it makes something manifest as a word or it is manifested by a word if it is manifested by a word there must exist a word whereby it is manifested if it is called a word because it exteriorly manifests what it exteriorly manifests cannot be called word except in so far as it signifies the interior concept of the mind which any one may also manifest by exterior signs therefore although word may be sometimes said of god metaphorically nevertheless we must also admit word in the proper sense and which is said personally reply to objection two nothing belonging to the intellect can be applied to god personally except word alone for word alone signifies that which emanates from another for what the intellect forms in its conception is the word now the intellect itself according as it is made actual by the intelligible species is considered absolutely likewise the act of understanding which is to the actual intellect what existence is to actual being since the act of understanding does not signify an act going out from the intelligent agent but an act remaining in the agent therefore when we say that word is knowledge the term knowledge does not mean the act of a knowing intellect or any one of its habits but stands for what the intellect conceives by knowing hence also augustine says that the word is begotten wisdom for it is nothing but the concept of the wise one and in the same way it can be called begotten knowledge thus can also be explained how to speak is in god to see by thought forasmuch as the word is conceived by the gaze of the divine thought still the term thought does not properly apply to the word of god for augustine says therefore do we speak of the word of god and not of the thought of god lest we believe that in god there is something unstable now assuming the form of word now putting off that form and remaining latent and as it were formless for thought consists properly in the search after the truth and this has no place in god but when the intellect attains to the form of truth it does not think but perfectly contemplates the truth hence anselm takes thought in an improper sense for contemplation reply to objection three as properly speaking word in god is said personally and not essentially so likewise is to speak hence as the word is not common to the father son and holy ghost so it is not true that the father son and holy ghost are one speaker so augustine says he who speaks in that co-eternal word is understood as not alone in god but as being with that very word without which forsooth he would not be speaking on the other hand to be spoken belongs to each person for not only is the word spoken but also the thing understood or signified by the word 
Therefore in this manner to one person alone in God does it belong to be spoken in the same way as a word is spoken, whereas in the way whereby a thing is spoken as being understood in the word, it belongs to each person to be spoken. For the Father, by understanding himself, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and all other things comprised in this knowledge, conceives the word, so that thus the whole Trinity is spoken in the word, and likewise also all creatures. As the intellect of a man, by the word he conceives in the act of understanding a stone, speaks a stone. Anselm took the term speak improperly for the act of understanding, whereas they really differ from each other. For to understand means only the habitude of the intelligent agent to the thing understood, in which habitude no trace of origin is conveyed, but only a certain information of our intellect. For as much as our intellect is made actual by the form of the thing understood, in God, however, it means complete identity, because in God the intellect and the thing understood are altogether the same, as was proved above, whereas to speak means chiefly the habitude to the word conceived, for to speak is nothing but to utter a word, but by means of the word it imports a habitude to the thing understood which in the word uttered is manifested to the one who understands. Thus only the person who utters the word is speaker in God, although each person understands and is understood, and consequently is spoken by the word. Reply to Objection 4. The term word is there taken figuratively, as the thing signified or effected by word is called word. For thus creatures are said to do the word of God as executing any effect whereto they are ordained from the word conceived of the divine wisdom. As anyone is said to do the word of the king when he does the work to which he is appointed by the king's word. Second article, whether word is the son's proper name. Objection 1. It would seem that word is not the proper name of the Son. For the Son is a subsisting person in God. But word does not signify a subsisting thing, as appears in ourselves. Therefore word cannot be the proper name of the person of the Son. Objection 2. Further, the word proceeds from the speaker by being uttered. Therefore, if the Son is properly the Word, he proceeds from the Father by way only of utterance, which is the heresy of Valentine, as appears from Augustine. Objection 3. Further, every proper name of person signifies some property of that person. Therefore, if the Word is the Son's proper name, it signifies some property of his, and thus there will be several more properties in God than those above mentioned. Objection 4. Further, Whoever understands conceives a word in the act of understanding, but the Son understands. Therefore some word belongs to the Son, and consequently to be word is not proper to the Son. Objection 5. Further, it is said of the Son, bearing all things by the word of his power, whence Basil infers that the Holy Ghost is the Son's word. Therefore to be word is not proper to the Son. On the contrary, Augustine says, by word we understand the Son alone. I answer that word said of God in its proper sense is used personally and is the proper name of the person of the Son. For it signifies an emanation of the intellect, and the person who proceeds in God by way of emanation of the intellect is called the Son, and this procession is called generation, as we have shown above, 
Hence it follows that the Son alone is properly called Word in God. Reply to Objection 1. To be and to understand are not the same in us. Hence that which in us has intellectual being does not belong to our nature. But in God to be and to understand are one and the same. Hence the word of God is not an accident in him or an effect of his, but belongs to his very nature. And therefore it must be something subsistent. For whatever is in the nature of God subsists. And so Damascene says that the word of God is substantial and has a hypostatic being. But other words are activities of the soul. Reply to Objection 2. The error of Valentine was condemned not as the Arians pretended, because he asserted that the Son was born by being uttered, as Hilary relates, but on account of the different mode of utterance proposed by its author, as appeared from Augustine. Reply to Objection 3. In the term word, the same property is comprised as in the name Son. Hence Augustine says, Word and Son express the same. For the Son's nativity, which is his personal property, is signified by different names which are attributed to the Son to express his perfection in various ways. To show that he is of the same nature as the Father, he is called the Son. To show that he is co-eternal, he is called the Splendor. To show that he is altogether like, he is called the Image. To show that he is begotten immaterially, he is called the Word. All these truths cannot be expressed by only one name. Reply to Objection 4. To be intelligent belongs to the Son in the same way as it belongs to Him to be God, since to understand is said of God essentially, as stated above. Now the Son is God begotten and not God begetting. And hence He is intelligent not as producing a word, but as the word proceeding. For as much as in God the word proceeding does not differ really from the divine intellect, but is distinguished from the principle of the word only by relation. Reply to Objection 5. When it is said of the Son, bearing all things by the word of his power, word is taken figuratively for the effect of the word. Hence the gloss says that the word is here taken to mean command, inasmuch as by the effect of the power of the word things are kept in being as also by the effect of the power of the word things are brought into being. Basil speaks widely and figuratively in applying word to the Holy Ghost, in the sense perhaps that everything that makes a person known may be called his word, and so in that way the Holy Ghost may be called the Son's word because he manifests the Son. Third article, whether the name word imports relation to creatures. Objection 1. It would seem that the name word does not import relation to creatures. For every name that connotes some effect in creatures is said of God essentially. But word is not said essentially, but personally. Therefore word does not import relation to creatures. Objection 2. Further, whatever imports relation to creatures is said of God in time as Lord and Creator. But word is said of God from eternity. Therefore it does not import relation to the creature. Objection 3. Further, word imports relation to the source whence it proceeds. Therefore, if it imports relation to the creature, it follows that the word proceeds from the creature. Objection 4. Further, ideas in God are many according to their various relations to creatures. Therefore, if word imports relation to creatures, it follows that in God there is not one word only, but many. 
And objection 5. Further, if word imports relation to the creature, this can only be because creatures are known by God. But God does not know beings only. He also knows non-beings. Therefore, in the word are implied relations to non-beings, which appears to be false. On the contrary, Augustine says that the name word signifies not only relation to the Father, but also relation to those beings which are made through the word by his operative power. I answer that word implies relation to creatures. For God, by knowing himself, knows every creature. Now the word conceived in the mind is representative of everything that is actually understood. Hence there are in ourselves different words for the different things which we understand. But because God by one act understands himself and all things, his one only word is expressive not only of the Father, but of all creatures. And as the knowledge of God is only cognitive as regards God, whereas as regards creatures it is both cognitive and operative, so the word of God is only expressive of what is in God the Father, but is both expressive and operative of creatures, and therefore it is said, He spake and they were made, because in the word is implied the operative idea of what God makes. Reply to objection 1. The nature is also included indirectly in the name of the person, for person is an individual substance of a rational nature. Therefore, the name of a divine person as regards the personal relation does not imply relation to the creature, but it is implied in what belongs to the nature. Yet there is nothing to prevent its implying relation to creatures so far as the essence is included in its meaning. For as it properly belongs to the Son to be the Son, so it properly belongs to Him to be God begotten, or the Creator begotten. And in this way the name word imports relation to creatures. Reply to Objection 2. Since the relations result from actions, some names import the relation of God to creatures, which relation follows on the action of God which passes into some exterior effect, as to create and to govern, and the like are applied to God in time. But others import a relation which follows from an action which does not pass into an exterior effect, but abides in the agent as to know and to will. Such are not applied to God in time. And this kind of relation to creatures is implied in the name of the word. Nor is it true that all names which import the relation of God to creatures are applied to him in time, but only those names are applied in time which import relation following on the action of God passing into exterior effect. Reply to Objection 3. Creatures are known to God not by a knowledge derived from the creatures themselves, but by his own essence. Hence it is not necessary that the word should proceed from creatures, although the word is expressive of creatures. Reply to Objection 4. The name of idea is imposed chiefly to signify relation to creatures, and therefore it is applied in a plural sense to God, and it is not said personally. But the name of word is imposed chiefly to signify the speaker, and consequently relation to creatures, inasmuch as God, by understanding himself, understands every creature. And so there is only one word in God, and that is a personal one. Reply to Objection 5. 
God's knowledge of non-beings and God's word about non-beings are the same, because the word of God contains no less than does the knowledge of God, as Augustine says. Nevertheless, the word is expressive and operative of beings, but is expressive and manifestive of non-beings. The end of question 34. Question 35 of Summa Theologica Pars Prima, Trinity and Creation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Jim Ruddy. Summa Theologica Pars Prima, Trinity and Creation by St. Thomas Aquinas. Translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 35 of the image. We next inquire concerning the image, about which there are two points of inquiry, whether image in God is said personally, and whether this name belongs to the Son alone. First article, whether image in God is said personally. Objection 1. It would seem that image is not said personally of God. For Augustine says, The Godhead of the Holy Trinity and the image whereunto man is made are one, Therefore, image is said of God essentially and not personally. Objection 2. Further, Hilary says, An image is a like species of that which it represents, but species or form is said of God essentially. Therefore, so also is image. Objection 3. Further, image is derived from imitation, which implies before and after, but in the divine persons there is no before and after. Therefore, image cannot be a personal name in God. On the contrary, Augustine says, What is more absurd than to say that an image is referred to itself? Therefore the image of God is a relation, and is thus a personal name. I answer, that image includes the idea of similitude. Still, not any kind of similitude suffices for the notion of image, but only similitude of species, or at least of some specific sign. In corporeal things, the specific sign consists chiefly in the figure, for we see that the species of different animals are of different figures, but not of different colors. Hence, if the color of anything is depicted on a wall, this is not called an image unless the figure is likewise depicted. Further, neither, is the, sim neither the similitude of species or of figure is enough for an image, which requires also the idea of origin, because, as Augustine says, one egg is not the image of another, because it is not derived from it. Therefore, for a true image, it is required that one proceeds from another like to it in species, or at least in specific sign. Now, whatever imports procession or origin in God belongs to the persons, hence the name image is a personal name. Reply to objection 1. Image, properly speaking, means whatever proceeds forth in likeness to another, that to the likeness of which anything proceeds is properly speaking called the exemplar and is improperly called the image. Nevertheless, Augustine uses the name of image in this sense when he says that the divine nature of the Holy Trinity is the image to whom man was made. Reply to objection to species, as mentioned by Hilary in the definition of image, means the form derived from one thing to another. In this sense, image is said to be the species of anything, as that which is assimilated to anything is called its form, inasmuch as it has a like form. 
Reply to objection 3. Imitation in God does not signify posteriority, but only assimilation. Second article, whether the name of image is proper to the Son. Objection 1. It would seem that the name of image is not proper to the Son, because as Damascene says, the Holy Ghost is the image of the Son. Therefore, image does not belong to the Son alone. Objection 2. Further, similitude in expression belongs to the nature of an image, as Augustine says. But this belongs to the Holy Ghost, who proceeds from another by way of similitude. Therefore, the Holy Ghost is an image, and so to be image does not belong to the Son alone. Objection 3. Further, man is also called the image of God, according to Corinthians. The man ought not to cover his head, for he is the image and the glory of God. Therefore, image is not proper to the Son. On the contrary, Augustine says, the Son alone is the image of the Father. I answer that the Greek doctors commonly say that the Holy Ghost is the image of both the Father and of the Son. But the Latin doctors attribute the name image to the Son alone, for it is not found in the canonical scriptures except as applied to the Son, as in the words, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creatures? And again, Who being the brightness of his glory and the figure of his substance? Some explain this by the fact that the Son agrees with the Father not in nature only, but also in the notion of principle whereas the Holy Ghost agrees neither with the Son nor with the Father in any notion. This, however, does not seem to suffice, because as it is not by reason of the relations that we consider either equality or inequality in God, as Augustine says, so neither by reason thereof do we consider that similitude which is essential to image. Hence others say that the Holy Ghost cannot be called the image of the Son, because there cannot be an image of an image, nor of the Father, because again the image must be immediately related to that which it is the image. And the Holy Ghost is related to the Father through the Son, nor again is He the image of the Father and the Son, because then there would be one image of two, which is impossible. Hence it follows that the Holy Ghost is in no way an image. But this is no proof for the Father and the Son are one principle of the Holy Ghost, as we shall explain further on. Hence there is nothing to prevent there being one image of the Father and of the Son, inasmuch as they are one, since even man is one image of the whole Trinity. Therefore we must explain the matter otherwise, by saying that, as the Holy Ghost, although by His procession He receives the nature of the Father, as the Son also receives it, nevertheless is not said to be born, so, although he receives the likeness of the Father, he is not called the image, because the Son proceeds as word, and it is essential to word to be like species with that whence it proceeds. Whereas this does not essentially belong to love, although it may belong to that love which is the Holy Ghost, inasmuch as he is the divine love. Reply to Objection 1. Damascene and the other Greek doctors commonly employ the term image as meaning a perfect similitude. Reply to objection 2. Although the Holy Ghost is like to the Father and the Son, still it does not follow that He is the image as above explained. Reply to objection 3. The image of a thing may be found in something in two ways. In one way it is found in something of the same specific nature as the image of the king is found in his son. In another way it is found in something of a different nature as the king's image on the coin. 
In the first sense, the Son is the image of the Father. In the second sense, man is called the image of God. And therefore, in order to express the imperfect character of the divine image in man, man is not simply called the image, but to the image, whereby is expressed a certain movement of tendency to perfection. But it cannot be said that the Son of God is to the image, because He is the perfect image of the Father. The end of question 35. Question 36 of Summa Theologica, Pars Prima, Trinity and Creation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Jim Ruddy. Summa Theologica, Pars Prima, Trinity and Creation by St. Thomas Aquinas. Translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 36. Of the Person of the Holy Ghost. We proceed to treat of what belongs to the Person of the Holy Ghost, who is called not only the Holy Ghost, but also the love and gift of God. Concerning the name Holy Ghost, there are four points of inquiry. Whether this name Holy Ghost is the proper name of one divine person? whether that divine person who is called the Holy Ghost proceeds from the Father and the Son, whether he proceeds from the Father through the Son, and whether the Father and the Son are one principle of the Holy Ghost. First article, whether this name Holy Ghost is the proper name of one divine person. Objection 1. It would seem that this name Holy Ghost is not the proper name of one divine person, for no name which is common to the three persons is the proper name of any one person. But this name of Holy Ghost is common to the three persons, for Hilary shows that the Spirit of God sometimes means the Father, as in the words of Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and sometimes the Son, as when the Son says, In the Spirit of God I cast out devils, showing that he cast out devils by his own natural power. And that sometimes it means the Holy Ghost, as in the words of Joel, I will pour out of my Spirit over all flesh. Therefore this name Holy Ghost is not the proper name of a divine person. Objection to further, the names of the divine persons are relative terms, as Boethius says. But this name Holy Ghost is not a relative term, therefore this name is not the proper name of a divine person. Objection 3. Further, because the Son is the name of a divine person, he cannot be called the Son of this or of that. But the Spirit is spoken of as of this or of that, as appears in the words the Lord said to Moses, I will take of thy Spirit and will give it to them and also the spirit of Elias rested upon Eliseus. Therefore, Holy Ghost does not seem to be the proper name of a divine person. On the contrary, it is said, There are three who bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. As Augustine says, when we ask three what, we say three persons. Therefore, the Holy Ghost is the name of a divine person. I answer that 
while there are two processions in god one of these the procession of love has no proper name of its own as is stated above hence the relations also which follow from this procession are without a name for which reason the person proceeding in that manner has not a proper name but as some names are accommodated by the usual mode of speaking to signify the aforesaid relations as when we use the names of procession and spiration which in the strict sense more fittingly signify the notional acts than the relations so to signify the divine person who proceeds by way of love this name holy ghost is by the use of scriptural speech accommodated to him the appropriateness of this name may be shown in two ways firstly from the fact that the person who is called holy ghost has something in common with the other persons for as augustine says because the holy ghost is common to both he himself is called that properly which both are called in common for the father also is a spirit and the son is a spirit and the father is holy and the son is holy secondly from the proper signification of the name for the name spirit in things corporeal seems to signify impulse and motion for we call the breath and the wind by the term spirit now it is a property of love to move and impel the will of the lover toward the object love further holiness is attributed to whatever is ordered to god therefore because the divine person proceeds by way of the love whereby god is loved that person is most properly named the holy ghost reply to objection one the expression holy spirit if taken as two words is applicable to the whole trinity because by spirit the immateriality of the divine substance is signified for corporeal spirit is invisible and has but little matter hence we apply this term to all immaterial and invisible substances and by adding the word holy we signify the purity of divine goodness but if holy spirit be taken as one word it is thus that the expression in the usage of the church is accommodated to signify one of the three persons the one who proceeds by way of love for the reason above explained reply to objection to although this name holy ghost does not indicate a relation still it takes the place of a relative term inasmuch as it is accommodated to signify a person distinct from the others by relation only yet this name may be understood as including a relation if we understand the holy spirit as being breathed reply to objection three in the name son we understand that relation only which is of something from a principle in regard to that principle but in the name father we understand the relation of principle and likewise in the name of spirit inasmuch as it implies a moving power but to no creature does it belong to be a principle as regards a divine person but rather the reverse therefore we can say our father and our spirit but we cannot say our son second article whether the holy ghost proceeds from the son objection one 
it would seem that the Holy Ghost does not proceed from the Son. For as Dionysius says, we must not dare to say anything concerning the substantial divinity except what has been divinely expressed to us by the sacred oracles. But in the sacred scripture we are not told that the Holy Ghost proceeds from the Son, but only that he proceeds from the Father, as appears from John, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father. Therefore the Holy Ghost does not proceed from the Son. Objection to further, in the creed of the Council of Constantinople, we read, We believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and life-giver, who proceeds from the Father, with the Father and the Son to be adored and glorified. Therefore it should not be added in our creed that the Holy Ghost proceeds from the Son, and those who added such a thing appear to be worthy of anathema. Objection 3. Further, Damascene says, we say that the Holy Ghost is from the Father, and we name him the Spirit of the Father. But we do not say that the Holy Ghost is from the Son, yet we name him the Spirit of the Son. Therefore, the Holy Ghost does not proceed from the Son. Objection 4. Further, nothing proceeds from that wherein it rests. But the Holy Ghost rests in the Son. For it is said in the legend of St. Andrew, Peace be to you and to all who believe in the one God, the Father, and in his only Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and in the one Holy Ghost proceeding from the Father and abiding in the Son. Therefore the Holy Ghost does not proceed from the Son. Objection 5. Further, the Son proceeds as the Word, but our breath does not seem to proceed in ourselves from our word. Therefore, the Holy Ghost does not proceed from the Son. Objection 6. Further, the Holy Ghost proceeds perfectly from the Father. Therefore, it is superfluous to say that he proceeds from the Son. Objection 7. Further, the actual and the possible do not differ in things perpetual, and much less so in God. But it is possible for the Holy Ghost to be distinguished from the Son even if he did not proceed from him. For Anselm says, The Son and the Holy Ghost have their being from the Father, but each in a different way, one by birth, the other by procession, so that they are thus distinct from one another. And further on he says, For even if for no other reason were the Son and the Holy Ghost distinct, this alone would suffice. Therefore the Holy Spirit is distinct from the Son without proceeding from him. On the contrary, Athanasius says, The Holy Ghost is from the Father and the Son, not made, nor created, nor begotten, but proceeding. I answer that it must be said that the Holy Ghost is from the Son. For if he were not from him, he could in no wise be personally distinguished from him, as appears from what has been said above. For it cannot be said that the divine persons are distinguished from each other in any absolute sense for it would follow that there would not be one essence of the three persons since everything that is spoken of god in an absolute sense belongs to the unity of essence therefore it must be said that the divine persons are distinguished from each other only by the relations now the relations cannot distinguish the persons except for as much as they are opposite relations, which appears from the fact that the Father has two relations, by one of which he is related to the Son, and by the other to the Holy Ghost. But these are not opposite relations, and therefore they do not make two persons, but belong only to the one person of the Father. If therefore in the Son and the Holy Ghost there were 
two relations only, whereby each of them were related to the Father, these relations would not be opposite to each other, as neither would be the two relations whereby the Father is related to them. Hence, as the person of the Father is one, it would follow that the person of the Son and the Holy Ghost would be one, having two relations opposed to the two relations of the Father. But this is heretical, since it destroys the faith in the Trinity. Therefore the Son and the Holy Ghost must be related to each other by opposite relations. Now there cannot be in God any relations opposed to each other except relations of origin, as proved above. And opposite relations of origin are to be understood as a, of a principle and of what is from the principle. Therefore we must conclude that it is necessary to say that either the Son is from the Holy Ghost, which no one says, or that the Holy Ghost is from the Son, as we confess. Furthermore, the order of the procession of each one agrees with this conclusion, for it was said above that the Son proceeds by the way of the intellect as word, and the Holy Ghost by way of the will as love. Now love must proceed from a word, for we do not love anything unless we apprehend it by a mental conception. Hence also in this way it is manifest that the Holy Ghost proceeds from the Son. We derive a knowledge of the same truth from the very order of nature itself. For we nowhere find that several things proceed from one without order, except in those which differ only by their matter. As, for instance, one smith produces many knives distinct from each other materially, with no order to each other. Whereas in things in which there is not only a material distinction, we also find that some order exists in the multitude produced. Hence also in the order of creatures produced, the beauty of the divine wisdom is displayed. So if from the one person of the Father two persons proceed, the Son and the Holy Ghost, then there must be some order between them. Nor can any other be assigned except the order of their nature, whereby one is from the other. Therefore it cannot be said that the Son and the Holy Ghost proceed from the Father in such a way that neither of them proceeds from the other, unless we admit in them a material distinction which is impossible. Hence, also the Greeks themselves recognize that the procession of the Holy Ghost has some order to the Son, for they grant that the Holy Ghost is the Spirit of the Son, and that He is from the Father through the Son. Some of them are said also to concede that He is from the Son, or that He flows from the Son, but not that He proceeds, which seems to come from ignorance or obstinacy. For a just consideration of the truth will convince anyone that the word procession is the one most commonly applied to all that denotes origin of any kind. For we use the term to describe any kind of origin, as when we say that a line proceeds from a point, a ray from the sun, a stream from a source, and likewise in everything else. Hence granted that the Holy Ghost originates in any way from the sun, we can conclude that the Holy Ghost proceeds from the sun. Reply to Objection 1. We ought not to say about God anything which is not found in Holy Scripture, either explicitly or implicitly. But although we do not find it verbally expressed in Holy Scripture that the Holy Ghost proceeds from the Son, still we do find it in the sense of Scripture, especially where the Son says, speaking of the Holy Ghost, He will glorify me because He shall receive of mine. 
it is also a rule of holy scripture that whatever is said of the father applies to the son although there be added an exclusive term except only as regards what belongs to the opposite relations whereby the father and the son are distinguished from each other for when the lord says no one knoweth the son but the father the idea of the son knowing himself is not excluded so therefore when we say that the holy ghost proceeds from the father even though it would be added that he proceeds from the father alone the son would not thereby be at all excluded because as regards being the principle of the holy ghost the father and the son are not opposed to each other but only as regards the fact that one is the father and the other is the son reply to objection two in every council of the church a symbol of faith has been drawn up to meet some prevalent error condemned in the council at that time hence subsequent councils are not to be described as making a new symbol of faith but what was implicitly contained in the first symbol was explained by some addition directed against rising heresies hence in the decision of the council of chalcedon it is declared that those who were congregated together in the council of constantinople handed down the doctrine about the holy ghost not implying that there was anything wanting in the doctrine of their predecessors who had gathered together at nicaea but explaining what those fathers had understood of the matter therefore because at the time of the ancient councils the error of those who said that the holy ghost did not proceed from the son had not arisen it was not necessary to make any explicit declaration on that point whereas later on when certain errors rose up another council assembled in the west the matter was explicitly defined by the authority of the roman pontiff by whose authority also the ancient councils were summoned and confirmed nevertheless the truth was contained implicitly in the belief that the holy ghost proceeds from the father reply to objection three the nestorians were the first to introduce the error that the holy ghost did not proceed from the son as appears in a nestorian creed condemned in the council of ephesus this error was embraced by theodoric the nestorian and several others after him among whom was also damascene hence in that point his opinion is not to be held although too it has been asserted by some that while damascene did not confess that the holy ghost was from the son neither do those words of his express a denial thereof reply to objection for when the holy ghost is said to rest or abide in the son it does not mean that he does not proceed from him for the son also is said to abide in the father although he proceeds from the father also the holy ghost is said to rest in the son as the love of the lover abides in the beloved or in reference to the human nature of christ by reason of what is written on whom thou shalt see the spirit descending and remaining upon him he it is who baptizes reply to objection five the word in god is not taken after the similitude of the vocal word whence the breath does not proceed for it would then be only metaphorical but after the similitude of the mental word whence proceeds love reply to objection six 
For the reason that the Holy Ghost proceeds from the Father perfectly, not only is it not superfluous to say He proceeds from the Son, but rather it is absolutely necessary. Forasmuch as one power belongs to the Father and the Son, and because whatever is from the Father must be from the Son, unless it be opposed to the property of filiation. For the Son is not from Himself, although He is from the Father. And reply to objection 7. The Holy Ghost is distinguished from the Son, inasmuch as the origin of one is distinguished from the origin of the other. But the difference itself of origin comes from the fact that the Son is only from the Father, whereas the Holy Ghost is from the Father and the Son. For otherwise the processions would not be distinguished from each other, as explained above. Third article, whether the Holy Ghost proceeds from the Father through the Son. Objection 1. It would seem that the Holy Ghost does not proceed from the Father through the Son, for whatever proceeds from one through another does not proceed immediately. Therefore, if the Holy Ghost proceeds from the Father through the Son, He does not proceed immediately, which seems to be unfitting. Objection 2. Further, if the Holy Ghost proceeds from the Father through the Son, He does not proceed from the Son, except on account of the Father. But whatever causes a thing to be such is yet more so. Therefore, He proceeds more from the Father than from the Son. Objection 3. Further, the Son has His being by generation. Therefore, if the Holy Ghost is from the Father through the Son, it follows that the Son is first generated, and afterwards the Holy Ghost proceeds and thus the procession of the Holy Ghost is not eternal, which is heretical. And objection 4. Further, when any one acts through another, the same may be said conversely. For as we say that the king acts through the bailiff, so it can be said conversely that the bailiff acts through the king. But we can never say that the Son spirates the Holy Ghost through the Father. Therefore it can never be said that the Father spirates the Holy Ghost through the Son. On the contrary, Hilary says... Keep me, I pray, in this expression of my faith, that I may ever possess the Father, namely thyself, that I may adore thy Son together with thee, and that I may deserve thy Holy Spirit, who is through thy only begotten. I answer that whenever one is said to act through another, this preposition through points out in what is covered by it some cause or principle of that act. But since action is a mean between the agent and the thing done, sometimes that which is covered by the preposition through is the cause of the action as proceeding from the agent. And in this case, it is the cause of why the agent acts, whether it be a final cause or a formal cause, whether it be effective or motive. It is a final cause when we say, for instance, that the artisan works through love of gain. It is a formal cause when we say that he works through his art. It is a motive cause when we say that he works through the command of another. Sometimes, however, that which is covered by this preposition through is the cause of the action regarded as terminating in the thing done. As, for instance, when we say the artisan acts through the mallet, for this does not mean that the mallet is the cause why the artisan acts, but that it is the cause why the thing made proceeds from the artisan, and that it has even this effect from the artisan. This is why it is sometimes said that this preposition through sometimes denotes direct authority, as when we say the king works through the bailiff, and sometimes indirect authority, as when we say the bailiff works through the king. Therefore, because the son receives from the father 
that the Holy Ghost proceeds from Him, it can be said that the Father spirates the Holy Ghost through the Son, or that the Holy Ghost proceeds from the Father through the Son, which has the same meaning. Reply to Objection 1. In every action, two things are to be considered. The suppositum acting, and the power whereby it acts. As, for instance, fire heats through heat. So, if we consider in the Father and the Son the power whereby they spirate the Holy Ghost, there is no mean, for this is one and the same power. But if we consider the persons themselves spirating, then, as the Holy Ghost proceeds both from the Father and from the Son, the Holy Ghost proceeds from the Father immediately as from Him, and immediately as from the Son, and thus He is said to proceed from the Father through the Son. So also did Abel proceed immediately from Adam, inasmuch as Adam was his father, and immediately as Eve was his mother, who had proceeded from Adam. Although indeed this example of a material procession is inept to signify the immaterial procession of the divine persons. Reply to Objection 2. If the Son received from the Father a numerically distinct power for the spiration of the Holy Ghost, it would follow that he would be a secondary and instrumental cause, and thus the Holy Ghost would proceed more from the Father than from the Son, whereas on the contrary the same spirative power belongs to the Father and to the Son, and therefore the Holy Ghost proceeds equally from both, although sometimes he is said to proceed principally or properly from the Father, because the Son has this power from the Father. Reply to Objection 3. As the begetting of the Son is co-eternal with the begetter, and hence the Father does not exist before begetting the Son, so the procession of the Holy Ghost is co-eternal with His principle. Hence the Son was not begotten before the Holy Ghost proceeded, but each of the operations is eternal. Reply to Objection 4. When anyone is said to work through anything, the converse proposition is not always true, for we do not say that the mallet works through the carpenter, whereas we can say that the bailiff acts through the king, because it is the bailiff's place to act, since he is master of his own act, but it is not the mallet's place to act, but only to be made to act, and hence it is used only as an instrument. The bailiff is, however, said to act through the king, although this preposition through denotes a medium, for the more a suppositum is prior in action, so much the more is its power immediate as regards the effect, inasmuch as the power of the first cause joins the second cause to its effect. Hence also first principles are said to be immediate in the demonstrative sciences. Therefore, so far as the bailiff is a medium according to the order of the subject's editing, the king is said to work through the bailiff, but according to the order of powers, the bailiff is said to act through the king, forasmuch as the power of the king gives the bailiff's action its effect. Now there is no order of power between father and son, but only order of supposita, and hence we say that the father spirates through the son, and not conversely. Fourth article, whether the father and the son are one principle of the Holy Ghost. Objection 1. It would seem that the Father and the Son are not one principle of the Holy Ghost. For the Holy Ghost does not proceed from the Father and the Son as though they are one, 
not as they are one in nature for the holy ghost would in that way proceed from himself as he is one in nature with them nor again inasmuch as they are united in any one property for it is clear that one property cannot belong to two subjects therefore the holy ghost proceeds from the father and the son as distinct from one another therefore the father and the son are not one principle of the holy ghost objection two further in this proposition the father and the son are one principle of the holy ghost we do not designate personal unity because in that case the father and the son would be one person nor again do we designate the unity of property because if one property were the reason of the father and the son being one principle of the holy ghost similarly on account of his two properties the father would be two principles of the son and the holy ghost which cannot be admitted therefore the father and the son are not one principle of the holy ghost objection three further the son is not one with the father more than is the holy ghost but the holy ghost and the father are not one principle as regards any other divine person therefore neither are the father and the son objection four further if the father and the son are one principle of the holy ghost this one is either the father or it is not the father but we cannot assert either of these positions because if one is the father it follows that the son is the father and if one is not the father it follows that the father is not the father therefore we cannot say that the father and the son are one principle of the holy ghost objection five further if the father and the son are one principle of the holy ghost it seems necessary to say conversely that the one principle of the holy ghost is the father and the son but this seems to be false for this word principle stands either for the person of the father or for the person of the son and in either sense it is false therefore this proposition also is false that the father and the son are one principle of the holy ghost objection six further unity in substance makes identity so if the father and the son are the one principle of the holy ghost it follows that they are the same principle which is denied by many therefore we cannot grant that the father and the son are one principle of the holy ghost and objection seven further the father son and holy ghost are called one creator because they are the one principle of the creature but the father and the son are not one but two spirators as many assert and this agrees also with what hilary says that the holy ghost is to be confessed as proceeding from father and son as authors therefore the father and the son are not one principle of the holy ghost on the contrary augustine says that the father and the son are not two principles but one principle of the holy ghost i answer that the father and the son are in everything one wherever there is no distinction between them of opposite relation hence since there is no relative opposition between them as the principle of the holy ghost it follows that the father and the son are one principle of the holy ghost some however assert that this proposition is incorrect the father and the son are one principle of the holy ghost because they declare since the word principle in the singular number does not signify person but property it must be taken as an adjective and forasmuch as an adjective cannot be modified by another adjective it cannot properly be said that the father and the son are one principle of the holy ghost unless one be taken as an adverb so that the meaning should be they are one principle that is in one and the same way 
but then it might be equally right to say that the father is two principles of the son and the holy ghost namely in two ways therefore we must say that although this word principle signifies a property it does so after the manner of a substantive as do the words father and son even in things created hence it takes its number from the form it signifies like other substantives therefore as the father and the son are one god by reason of the unity of the form that is signified by this word god so they are one principle of the holy ghost by reason of the unity of the property that is signified in this word principle reply to objection one if we consider the spirative power the holy ghost proceeds from the father and the son as they are one in the spirative power which in a certain way signifies the nature with the property as we shall see later nor is there any reason against one property being in two supposita that possess one common nature but if we consider the supposita of the spiration then we may say that the holy ghost proceeds from the father and the son as distinct for he proceeds from them as the unitive love of both reply to objection two in the proposition the father and the son are one principle of the holy ghost one property is designated which is the form signified by the term it does not thence follow that by reason of the several properties the father can be called several principles for this would imply in him a plurality of subjects reply to objection three it is not by reason of relative properties that we speak of similitude or dissimilitude in god but by reason of the essence hence as the father is not more like to himself than he is to the son so likewise neither is the son more like to the father than is the holy ghost reply to objection four these two propositions the father and the son are one principle which is the father or one principle which is not the father are not mutually contradictory and hence it is not necessary to assert one or the other of them for when we say the father and the son are one principle this word principle has not determinate supposition but rather it stands indeterminately for two persons together hence there is a fallacy of figure of speech as the argument concludes from the indeterminate to the determinate reply to objection five this proposition is also true the one principle of the holy ghost is the father and the son because the word principle does not stand for one person only but indistinctly for the two persons as above explained reply to objection six there is no reason against saying that the father and the son are the same principle because the word principle stands confusedly and indistinctly for the two persons together and reply to objection seven some say that although the father and the son are one principle of the holy ghost there are two spirators by reason of the distinction of supposita as also there are two spirating because acts refer to subjects yet this does not hold good as to the name creator because the holy ghost proceeds from the father and the son as from two distinct persons as above explained whereas the creature proceeds from the three persons not as distinct persons but as united in essence it seems however better to say that because spirating is an adjective and spirator a substantive we can say that the father and the son are two spirating by reason of the plurality of the supposita but not two spirators by reason of the one spiration for adjectival words derive their number from the supposita but substantives from themselves according to the form signified 
As to what Hilary says, that the Holy Ghost is from the Father and the Son as his authors, this is to be explained in the sense that the substantive here stands for the adjective. The end of question 36. Question 37 of Summa Theologica Pars Prima, Trinity and Creation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Jim Ruddy. Summa Theologica Pars Prima, Trinity and Creation by St. Thomas Aquinas, translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province, Question 37. Of the name of the Holy Ghost, love. We now inquire concerning the name love, on which arise two points of inquiry, whether it is the proper name of the Holy Ghost, and whether the Father and the Son love each other by the Holy Ghost. First article, whether love is the proper name of the Holy Ghost. Objection 1. It would seem that love is not the proper name of the Holy Ghost. For Augustine says, As the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are called wisdom, and are not three wisdoms but one i know not why the father son and holy ghost should not be called charity and altogether one charity but no name which is predicated in the singular of each person and of altogether is a proper name of a person therefore this name love is not the proper name of the holy ghost objection two further the holy ghost is a subsisting person but love is not used to signify a subsisting person but rather an action passing from the lover to the beloved therefore love is not the proper name of the holy ghost objection three further love is the bond between lovers for as dionysius says love is a unitive force but a bond is a medium between what it joins together not something proceeding from them therefore since the holy ghost proceeds from the father and the son as was shown above it seems that he is not the love or bond of the father and the son objection four further love belongs to every lover but the Holy Ghost is a lover, therefore he has love. So if the Holy Ghost is love, he must be love of love, and spirit from spirit, which is not admissible. On the contrary, Gregory says, the Holy Ghost himself is love. I answer that the name love in God can be taken essentially and personally. If taken personally, it is the proper name of the Holy Ghost as word is the proper name of the Son. To see this, we must know that since, as shown above, there are two processions in God, one by way of the intellect, which is the procession of the word, and another by way of the will, which is the procession of love, forasmuch as the former is the more known to us, we have been able to apply more suitable names to express our various considerations as regards that procession, but not as regards the procession of the will. Hence we are obliged to employ circumlocution as regards the person who proceeds and the relations following from this procession, which are called procession and spiration, as stated above. And yet express the origin rather than the relation in the strict sense of the term. Nevertheless, we must consider them in respect of each procession simply. For as when a thing is understood by any one, there results in the one who understands a conception of the object understood, which conception we call word. 
So when anyone loves an object, a certain impression results, so to speak, of the thing loved in the affection of the lover, by reason of which the object loved is said to be in the lover, as also the thing understood is in the one who understands. So that when anyone understands and loves himself, he is in himself, not only by real identity, but also as the object understood is in the one who understands, and the thing loved is in the lover." As regards the intellect, however, words have been found to describe the mutual relation of the one who understands the object understood, as appears in the word to understand, and other words are used to express the procession of the intellectual conception, namely to speak and word. Hence in God to understand is applied only to the essence, because it does not import relation to the word that proceeds, whereas word is said personally, because it signifies what proceeds and the term to speak is a notional term as importing the relation of the principle of the word to the word himself on the other hand on the part of the will with the exception of the words dilection and love which express the relation of the lover to the object loved there are no other terms in use which express the relation of the impression or affection of the object love produced in the lover by the fact that he loves to the principle of that impression, or vice versa. And therefore, on account of the poverty of our vocabulary, we express these relations by the word love and election, just as if we were to call the word intelligence conceived, or wisdom begotten. It follows that so far as love means only the relation of the lover to the object loved, love and to love are said of the essence as understanding and to understand, but on the other hand so far as these words are used to express the relation to its principle of what proceeds by way of love and vice versa so that by love is understood the love proceeding and by to love is understood the spiration of the love proceeding in that sense love is the name of the person and to love is a notional term as to speak and to beget Reply to Objection 1. Augustine is there speaking of charity, as it means the divine essence, as was said above. Reply to Objection 2. Although to understand and to will and to love signify actions passing on to their objects, nevertheless they are actions that remain in the agents, as stated above, yet in such a way that in the agent itself they import a certain relation to their object. Hence love also in ourselves is something that abides in the lover, and the word of the heart is something abiding in the speaker, yet with a relation to the thing expressed by word or loved. But in God, in whom there is nothing accidental, there is more than this, because both word and love are subsistent. Therefore, when we say that the Holy Ghost is the love of the Father for the Son, or for something else. We do not mean anything that passes into another, but only the relation of love to the beloved, as also in the word is important, the relation of the word to the thing expressed by the word. Reply to Objection 3. The Holy Ghost is said to be the bond of the Father and Son, inasmuch as He is love, because since the Father loves Himself and the Son with one love, and conversely, there is expressed in the Holy Ghost, as love, the relation of the Father to the Son, and conversely, as that of the lover to the beloved. 
but from the fact that the Father and the Son mutually love one another, it necessarily follows that this mutual love, the Holy Ghost, proceeds from both. As regards origin, therefore, the Holy Ghost is not the medium, but the third person in the Trinity, whereas regards the aforesaid relation, he is the bond between the two persons as proceeding from both. Reply to Objection 4. As it does not belong to the Son, though he understands, to produce a word, for it belongs to him to understand as the word proceeding, so in like manner, although the Holy Ghost loves, taking love as an essential term, still it does not belong to him to spirate love, which is to take love as a notional term, because he loves essentially as love proceeding, but not as the one whence love proceeds. Second article, whether the Father and the Son love each other by the Holy Ghost. Objection 1. It would seem that the Father and the Son do not love each other by the Holy Ghost. For Augustine proves that the Father is not wise by the wisdom begotten. But as the Son is wisdom begotten, so the Holy Ghost is the love proceeding, as explained above. Therefore the Father and the Son do not love themselves by the love proceeding, which is the Holy Ghost. Objection 2. Further, in the proposition, the Father and the Son love each other by the Holy Ghost, this word love is to be taken either essentially or notionally. But it cannot be true of taken essentially, because in the same way we might say, the Father understands by the Son. Nor again if it is taken notionally, for then in like manner it might be said that the Father and the Son spirate by the Holy Ghost, or that the Father generates by the Son. Therefore, in no way is this proposition true, the Father and the Son love each other by the Holy Ghost. Objection 3. Further, by the same love the Father loves the Son and himself and us, but the Father does not love himself by the Holy Ghost, for no notional act is reflected back on the principle of the act, since it cannot be said that the Father begets himself or that he spirates himself. Therefore, neither can it be said that he loves himself by the Holy Ghost, if to love is taken in a notional sense. Again, the love wherewith he loves us is not the Holy Ghost, because it imports a relation to creatures, and this belongs to the essence. Therefore, this also is false. The Father loves the Son by the Holy Ghost. On the contrary, Augustine says, The Holy Ghost is he whereby the begotten is loved by the one begetting and loves his begetter. I answer that a difficulty about this question is objected to the effect that when we say the Father loves the Son by the Holy Ghost, since the ablative is construed as denoting a cause, it seems to mean that the Holy Ghost is the principle of love to the Father and the Son, which cannot be admitted. In view of this difficulty, some have held that it is false that the Father and the Son love each other by the Holy Ghost. And they add that it was retracted by Augustine when he retracted its equivalent to the effect that the Father is wise by the wisdom begotten. Others say that the proposition is inaccurate and ought to be expounded as that the Father loves the Son by the Holy Ghost, that is, by his essential love, which is appropriated to the Holy Ghost. Others further say that this ablative should be construed as importing a sign, so that it means the Holy Ghost is the sign that the Father loves the Son, inasmuch as the Holy Ghost proceeds from them both as love. Others, again, say that this ablative must be construed as importing the relation of formal cause, because the Holy Ghost is the love whereby the Father and the Son formally love each other. Others 
again say that it should be construed as importing the relation of a formal effect and these approach nearer to the truth to make the matter clear we must consider that since a thing is commonly denominated from its forms as white from whiteness and man from humanity everything whence anything is denominated in this particular respect stands to that thing in the relation of form so when i say this man is clothed with a garment the ablative is to be construed as having relation to the formal cause although the garment is not the form now it may happen that a thing may be denominated from that which proceeds from it not only as an agent is from its action but also as from the term itself of the action that is the effect when the effect itself is included in the idea of the action for we say that fire warms by heating although heating is not the heat which is the form of the fire but is an action proceeding from the fire and when we say that a tree flowers with the flower although the flower is not the tree's form but is the effect proceeding from the form in this way therefore we must say that since in god to love is taken in two ways essentially and notionally when it is taken essentially it means that the father and the son love each other not by the holy ghost but by their essence hence augustine says who dares to say that the father loves neither himself nor the son nor the holy ghost except by the holy ghost the opinions first quoted are to be taken in this sense but when the term love is taken in a notional sense it means nothing else than to spirate love just as to speak is to produce a word and to flower is to produce flowers and therefore we say that a tree flowers by its flower so do we say that the father by the word or the son speaks himself and his creatures and that the father and the son love each other and us by the holy ghost or by love proceeding reply to objection one to be wise or intelligent is taken only essentially in god therefore we cannot say that the father is wise or intelligent by the son but to love is taken not only essentially but also in a notional sense and in this way we can say that the father and the son love each other by the holy ghost as was explained above reply to objection two when the idea of an action includes a determined effect the principle of the action may be denominated both from the action and from the effect so we can say for instance that a tree flowers by its flowering and by its flower when however the idea of an action does not include a determined effect then in that case the principle of the action cannot be denominated from the effect but only from the action for we do not say that the tree produces the flower by the flower but by the production of the flower so when we say spirates or begets this imports only a notional act hence we cannot say that the father spirates by the holy ghost or begets by the son but we can say that the father speaks by the word as by the person proceeding and speaks by the speaking as by a notional act for as much as to speak imports a determined determinate person proceeding since to speak means to produce a word likewise to love taken in a notional sense means to produce love and so it can be said that the father loves the son by the holy ghost as by the person proceeding and by love itself as a notional act reply to objection three the father loves not only the son but also himself and us by the holy ghost because as above explained to love taken in a notional sense not only imports the production of a divine person but also the person produced by way of love which has relation to the object loved 
Hence, as the Father speaks Himself and every creature by His begotten Word, inasmuch as the Word begotten adequately represents the Father and every creature, so He loves Himself and every creature by the Holy Ghost, inasmuch as the Holy Ghost proceeds as the love of the primal goodness whereby the Father loves Himself and every creature. Thus it is evident that relation to the creature is implied both in the Word and in the preceding love as it were, in a secondary way, inasmuch as the divine truth and goodness are a principle of understanding and loving all creatures. The end of question 37.